The scripture this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. So if you could please stand for the reading of God's word. So then, men not, sorry, so then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the sacred, secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. The word of the Lord. I don't know where your mind goes sometimes. Um, I think about these interesting things sometimes before I come up to preach. How long has it been since you raised an Ebenezer? <laughs> you know what, what, the, what God, and he commanded his people, the Israelites, to do this. There were times when God did very significant things for them as a people. And when he did those things, he said, uh, I want you to build a little monument to remember that by. So when you pass this thing, you can say, oh, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, our 4th of July. 4th of July, oh, yeah, Independence Day. And they would come. They were piles of stones or something that they'd raise up. And, and we need to remember those milestones in our lives as believers, don't we? We can look back and just count the ways we've seen God at work in our lives, sometimes in very powerful, amazing, and unique ways. Yes, and pass it on. That was part of the reason they did this, so succeeding generations would have this thing to look to, and they, they knew the story. It was, they had that oral tradition that they passed on. Then I was looking at the flowers this morning on the, on the communion table. You know, um, I was a biological science major in college. I never planned on being a pastor. Look what you got. But I remember, um, you know, some of the theories of evolution. Um, you know, there were these little organic compounds or things floating around in space that just happened to come together and uh, well actually it wasn't even they they came together to form organic compounds which came together with we life came out of this can you man amen wow Uh, but you know i've always thought um animal life i always thought in that in regard to animal life and supposedly out of all that progression uh we ended up Okay, here we are. Where did these come from? And I was looking at the difference between these two flowers this morning. And you may, you may be a person who grows flowers. Just think of the incredible variety just of flowers. And how different, you know. I, I, I um, yeah. Petals and sepals and pistils and stamens and 
the variety of colors, and it's just amazing what God has done. That some people think just happened. Hmm. Yeah, it does. Well, on to the subject at hand today. It's amazing what uniforms can do for some people, and I'm, and I'm not talking about uh, necessarily, uh, you know, someone who has to wear uh, khakis at work because uh, their company logo will be on it. But I'm thinking more in terms of like a military uniform. You can dress him. You can take a man and dress him in sweatshirt and jeans, and he's just a man in sweatshirt and jeans. But put him in a uniform, and he can become a different person. One that may not only look better, but has this high sense of identification and privilege. He feels that he belongs to something unique or special or bigger than he is, and consequently, he begins to move and act in a different manner. His whole bearing can change. Some years ago, do you remember Cliff Burroughs that worked with Billy Graham Crusades? And he was, he was attending to the details of a series of evangelistic meetings that were approaching, and a little lady, little lady came up to him wanting to reminisce about the time they had sung together. Cliff didn't have the slightest idea who she was, but discovered that her idea of singing with Cliff Burroughs, singing together with him, was that she had been a member of one of his 10,000 voice choirs in a football stadium and had actually once been within 125 feet of him. For her, the big thing was that she identified with his group. She felt privileged to be a part of it and had never forgotten it. And I think it would be a mistake to underestimate the sense of privilege that people can have by identifying with certain causes or individuals. Often it will make them behave in a way that they've never behaved before or perform in a manner far greater than they were ever able to before. And this can be true of Christianity as Christians as well, where privileged to be identified with the greatest cause in the world. Paul in 1 Corinthians is having a hard time. He's, he's dealing with a church that has some issues going on, and many of them are not particularly impressed with him. Some don't like the way he preaches. Others don't like the things he preaches. Some don't like his appearance. Others question that he's an apostle at all. One group wants him to come back. Another group hopes he never shows up again. Paul's trying to mold the church at Corinth into a cohesive unit, attempting to get them to agree on something, and the something he chooses here in this passage is privilege. Can't we agree about our privileged position? Can't we let that motivate us so that we all move in the same direction? And so Paul says, let's regard ourselves as servants of Christ. And then he adds to that, as those entrusted with the secret things of God. So 
we need to start here today. We must recognize our role as servants. I was kind of pleased that we sang, make me a servant today. Kind of fits. The Greek word here is hupirites. That's translated servant here. And it's descriptive of, of a person who simply existed to fulfill the wish, wishes of his master or chief authority. For example, when John Mark traveled with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, it says that he went as their helper. If you look up the Greek word there, it is hupirites. It means that he attended to the small stuff, the, the, the paperwork, the things that Paul and Barnabas didn't want to have to take time to mess with. So he went to the embassies to get their visas. He made sure their passport pictures were right. He handled the hotel reservations. He did the grocery shopping. John Mark's sole responsibility was to see that the wishes and desires of Paul and Barnabas were met. And that's the idea of servant or who Peter tees. Another interesting usage of the word is found in the Gospels when Jesus on one occasion said, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the Hupirates and you may be thrown into prison. Here, that word Hupirates is translated in our Bibles as either officer or jailer depending on the version that you're reading. But the officer doesn't decide what's going to happen to people. The judge does that. The officer simply exists to carry out the wishes of his authority or principal, who is, in this case, the judge, so that those wishes, the wishes of the judge, might become reality. In this case, put you in jail. And make sure you stay there. So what Paul is saying then is that we are like the jailer to the judge. We are like John Mark to Paul and Barnabas. In our relationship with Jesus, we have a privileged position. We have come into a relationship with Jesus so that we might be the practical means of his wishes being carried out in our world. We're his servants, his hupirites. And the usage of this word in secular Greek provides another level of insight. In, in ancient days, the boats plying the waters, waters of the Mediterranean were propelled by men pulling oars. These rowers were on the lower deck and on the upper deck was the captain. The captain was the one who decided where the boat was going, when it was going, and how fast. It would go. The men below decks just pulled the oars. Now the captain could decide where they were going all he wanted until he was blue in the face, as we say, but without the men pulling the oars, the, the ship went nowhere. By the same token, the men below decks could make all the decisions they wanted, but it was the guy on the upper deck who decided where they were going, when they were going, and how fast they were going. So a relationship existed. A relationship between captain and under rower. In fact, the word hupirates in secular Greek 
translates under rower. Hupo, under, irites, rower. So if you want a clear picture of your relationship with Christ, it is this. We've been called by the Lord Jesus Christ to pull on the oars so that his ship of state can sail to the place he chooses so that he as as captain can accomplish what he desires. I think that's a great picture. I've been given my oar, you've been given your oar, and we're all in the ship together. Every one of us, servants of Jesus, pulling, we hope, in the same direction. What we need to do is get rid of the thinking that says, I'm tired of pulling on my oar, or why can't I have your oar, or why does she get to sit up there and I have to sit back here? Each of us must do our own job with our eyes and minds fixed on the captain on the upper deck who is deciding where we are all going. We are servants. We must recognize, first of all, that we are servants. Second, we have been entrusted with the secret things of God. (laughs) As servants, we have been entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, if you read in the... uh, This is an older version of the NIV. By the way, this was a... I don't know if I've told you, this was a gift... This is a gift that a couple, the first couple I ever married gave me as their thank you. But it's an older version of the NIV. If you read a newer version, it doesn't use the word secrets. It uses the word mysteries. And many of the translations you read will use the word mysteries rather than secrets as this version of the NIV does. The idea of mysteries may be a little confusing to us in this context. So I I want to help get some clarification here. When we think of a mystery, we think of something written by like someone like Agatha Christie, where some unlikely person is stuck in some unlikely situation with no way out. And in chapter one, the characters are introduced, and by the end of the chapter, there's a terrible scream, and someone is found dead. And immediately we begin to figure out who done it because of all the people you met in the first chapter. One is obviously a rogue. The problem is, by the end of the second chapter, you're not so sure because the rogue has died too. And chapter by chapter, a character is bumped off until you're totally confused. You have no idea who the culprit is, and that's a mystery. Unfortunately, when some people read the word mystery or secrets, as my translation reads it, when we read that in the New Testament, they think that God is like some kind of Agatha Christie who sits in heaven complicating things and making life impossible to understand. We need to realize that when we read the word mystery in the New Testament, it has nothing to do with that modern concept. To us, a mystery is something confusing beyond our ability to figure out. The Greeks thought differently. They had secret societies or mystery religions. Uh, If you've ever heard Gnosticism talked about, that was a Greek thing. And and if you weren't a member, you had no idea what was going on. Their their idea was that what got you to heaven was was these, uh, these secret things, this secret knowledge. 
that only the initiated people who are members of this thing could understand. They're the only ones who had this knowledge. Um, when the New Testament uses the word mystery, it isn't talking about things you don't or can't know. It is talking about things now revealed to you that you previously didn't know and are still secret to others. The mysteries of God have been revealed to the initiated, Paul says, but he adds that those of us who have received the mysteries, who have had our eyes open, must understand that we have received this information, this insight, as a sacred trust. To keep secret, right? No. Paul explains it this way in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Those are the secrets, actually. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through Him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, if you understand the audience that, that, that hears this, especially the Jews, this whole idea that you could approach God with freedom and confidence was unthinkable. You didn't do that. Not even the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies once you're approached with freedom and confidence. I mean, you tied a rope around his ankles in case he ashes or he wasn't, you know, he didn't have his act all together and he was dead for going in there and you could pull him out with the rope so you didn't have, nobody could go in and get him. I mean, the idea of approaching holy God with freedom and confidence, unthinkable. And to have a relation, God for them, was always out here. I mean, God is out here, but see, in Christ, God is in here, too. See, the only place God lived in their thinking was really that Holy of Holies in the temple. That's kind of where God was. I mean, we knew He was out here, too, but if you really wanted to meet with God, that's where He was now. Wow. That's amazing. Colossians 1, 25-27, Paul writes, I have become its servant, the gospel servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mercy. Mystery, which is Christ in you. God lives in me. The hope of glory. So, the secret is Christ in us. It's, it's the gospel. It's God so loved the world. 
It's no more system of sacrifices. It's once for all, Jesus shed His blood. And this isn't a secret we keep to ourselves. It's a secret that God wants us to share with everybody. We, the initiated, who know this, who have a grasp on this, are called then to share these things that for so long people didn't get, were not made known, but then have now been made known to us because of the new covenant. We are called now to share these secrets with others. And to do this, to keep this trust, because God has placed us, given us a trust, we must be faithful. When you take your money to the bank, you give it to a teller. And you have no idea who he or she is. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you've developed a relationship of some kind with that person. But you never think for a minute that the teller will pocket the money and go out and spend it. You just fully expect that they will deposit it for you, keep it in the bank, hold it in trust for you. It's your money, but they're going to accept full responsibility for ministering it as you wish until you may ask for it back again. And in the same way, when Jesus opens our eyes to the truth, when we become initiated into the mysteries of God, when God has shown Himself to us through Jesus Christ, when you begun under, begun, began understanding redemption, it isn't in order that you must just, so that you can sit back and enjoy it, it is in order that you might be like the banker holding someone else's money, holding it in trust for them. We have a responsibility with this now. We need to take care of it properly and we need to dispense it as the owner tells us to. And that is the privilege that Paul is speaking of. And you know, I needed this sermon. I needed to hear this sermon. Feedback. Because sometimes we don't see this as a privilege. It's kind of like this burden. Oh no, what if if God asked me to... Oh, We don't see it as a privilege at all. He's called us to be a part of Jesus' ship of state, pulling on our oars, contributing to getting the ship where He wants it to go. We're privileged because He's opened our eyes to things that other people do not understand. And we, boy, if, if you've ever gotten into conversation with someone about Jesus and Scripture, you'll, you'll realize that ooh, there's a lot of things people, they don't understand. Their eyes have not been opened to the truth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, by the way. We have a... We went to the uh, Gideon's banquet the other night. I have such a deep respect and appreciation for what they do. Talk about people on the front lines. I mean, they go out there to college campuses. <laughs> we know how receptive they are to that kind of thing. And, and, and they, 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 pass, they share the gospel. And, and, the, and the speaker we had the other night said this. You know what it is? It's the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We're just instruments He uses to get it in people's hands. But the thing that has power is the Word of God through the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. So this thing, they said, isn't as tough as you think. Just be obedient. 
But we have a tendency to, you know, to kind of be... Oh, man, what do I do? We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. So, we've been, we're privileged. And, you know, this is not an arrogance kind of thing. You talk about privilege and people being privileged. I'm not talking about an arrogance kind of looking down your nose at things. It's about our, how we feel about what God has done for us and the fact that He's said, I want you to help pull my ship forward. Wow, God asked me. So, He's opened our eyes to things that other people do not understand and has entrusted this information to us in order that we may do with it as He wishes and ultimately that we might share with others who don't. Remember on the playground as kids behind their secrets? We need to experience the deep sense of privilege that comes from realizing that God, for reasons that only He knows, has called you and me and all of His people to be entrusted with His mysteries. And this requires faithfulness. And why would we want to be faithful? Because we have such a sense of pride in our privileged position. In effect, our perspective could be, imagine God choosing you. Imagine God deciding to do it this way. Imagine me being part of this grand plan. It's unbelievable. And then for, and from there to reason, Lord, I don't want to go. I want to be faithful. I don't want to fall on my faith. I want to be faithful to what you called me to. I can't comprehend why you would choose and trust me, but you did, and I'm going to do my best. You know what? Uh, I want to brag on our oldest daughter here. Well, she's a dental hygienist. We didn't have Kim and Nora, and, and uh, she's been praying this prayer. When the Holy Spirit speaks to me, God, help me to do it. So, she'll, have, she'll get people in her chair at the dentist office. You know how that is. But only a dental hygienist can understand what you're saying at that point. But she'll get people in her chair that sometimes will open their hearts. Now, if she's not in an office, she'll probably say, well, yeah, go ahead and pray with them. But she does. And the Holy Spirit says, well, so why don't you talk to them about it? She that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 1.31 and in 2 Corinthians 10.17 when he says this, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
It is pride in who God is. It is it's pride in what He has done and is doing. It is not an arrogance, but an appropriate response to our great privilege that motivates us to faithfulness to the trust that we have been given. But then Paul, as he moves on in this passage today, he says, caution. He gives a word of warning, caution. Pressure can rob us of our sense of privilege. Pressure can rob us of our sense of privilege. And there are three kinds of pressure that you mentioned here. I care very little if I am judged by you. He's speaking to the church. In the church, there can be a variety of things that place pressure on us as we're trying to be obedient to what God has called us to. And we've heard these things before. We don't feel that. Are you sure that's necessary, or is that something you really want to be involved in? It's the pressure to do the same ministries the same way that we're And the reason that this becomes a pressure is because as long as you do things this way, there is no uncomfortable change, no nothing unpredictable, no one is fresh, nobody rocks the boat. That's kind of how we like that comfort level, don't we? And when we rock the boat, there's pressure. There's another kind of pressure. It comes from what Paul calls the human court. Um, which translated from the Greek literally means man's day. It refers to the secular, what we would call secular contemporary society. We call it the world. I don't care if I'm judged by the world, you say. Now, some Christians don't have to worry much about this pressure because... Um, aren't very often motivated to move into the world with the secrets of God. So we don't feel that kind of pressure. But if we do, we're going to experience that kind of pressure, especially in the world that we live in. We know from the scripture that there is going to be opposition to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We even talked about horrible things like persecution. So, when you do go into the world and you begin to share these things of God with people, you are still Pressure that comes from taking the stand that is in opposition to the majority. It's the pressure of proclaiming that mankind really isn't good that we can't do it ourselves and that we all need Jesus. We all need to be saved. We're sinners. We don't like that word. There is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. And we like the heaven part. We don't like the hell part. But Jesus mentioned hell quite often. It's the pressure of honoring God in situations where everyone else finds it easier not to or just plain doesn't want to. 
That's the kind of pressure we're talking about on the world that we live in. And finally, there's a pressure that we can put on ourselves. We've all experienced it. I don't know what to say. I'm just not doing it right. I don't think I'm making a difference. Or we have this expectation of things going a certain way only to have them happen differently than we planned and we think, well, I obviously A mentor friend once told me this, and I've never forgotten it. With God, there is neither success nor failure. In other words, when you do what God tells you to, the outcome is up to Him. We haven't succeeded or we have not failed. We've been obedient. So how do we handle these pressures? Well, we keep one thing in mind. I am privileged to be a servant of Christ. I hope you see it that way. I'm privileged to be a steward of the mysteries of God, and there's only things, one thing I must do, be faithful. Author, pastor, author and pastor Stuart Briscoe has commented on verses 3 and 4 here, where Paul talks about the fact that uh, I don't care if I'm judged by you or by a human court or even judged myself. And so he paints this little scenario. And he says, but you know, in verse 4, I care very, very little if, if I am judged by you. And he says, I can see Paul's secretary at that moment because Paul often used someone to scribe, a, a scribe to write his letters for him. I can see Paul at that moment looking up and saying, you want me to write that? I care very little if I'm judged by you. Yeah. You mean you're going to tell those Corinthians, I care very little if I am judged by you? Yes. Well, that's going to go over like a lead balloon in Corinth. I know, but it's the truth. And oh, by the way, while you're at it, tell them I care very little if I am judged by any human court either. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. And what the, what the Apostle Paul is saying in essence is this. Look, you're going to be subjected to a whole list of pressures and you've got to discount most of them. And so the secretary looks up and says to Paul, you're an anarchist. You're lawless. You're just doing your own thing. And Paul says, no, I'm not here yet. Just write this down. There is one who judges me, and that is the Lord. And the secretary writes it down and says, oh, my God. See, Paul was not so sick skin that he totally ignored the hard to do, isn't it? But he learned to put it in a larger perspective. And while we often learn helpful things from those who are critical of us, we must never let them become the sole judge of our ministry. So Paul reminds us that there is one thing that helps us keep all of these things in perspective. It is the Lord who judges me. He's the one I'm here to please. And in this phrase, Paul is saying that this is this. It is the Lord who has called me to be his servant. It is the Lord who has called me to be his steward. It is the Lord who has equipped me. It is the Lord who gives me this high privilege. And it is to him that I am answerable. 
2 Corinthians 10.18 says this, For it is not the one who commends himself to the truth, but the one whom the Lord commends. It's his approval. So what a sense of privilege we should have as God's people. Amen? A sense of privilege. This isn't a burden. It's a privilege that God has given us. As I prayed this morning, the thought that he's chosen us to partner with him in accomplishing his, accomplishing his mission in our world. Because I know me, and I'm not certain why he me. So let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe, maybe you need to pray this prayer because uh, when I know that I needed to pray it when I was preparing this. Lord, I've lost my sense of privilege. I've lost the sense of pride in being called by the Lord Jesus and trusted by Him. And as a result, I've grown lax. I've been spiritually sloppy. I've been motivated by other influences. Lord, and still, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you have called me. opportunities for us all the time. May we be faithful as servants and trusted with the mysteries of God. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your attention. You were paying attention, right? It looked like you were. Well, may God bless you with His grace and peace this morning. You are dismissed.